Rightio. So obviously last week uh, we sat down with James from Lighthouse Financial and we went through 10 commandments of building wealth. And if you didn't see the webinar, it is now up on YouTube um, and I'll put it into the Keep the Change School at some stage as well so you can access this at any stage. And we've also uploaded the audio which is available as a podcast and that released this morning. So you can go back and listen to it. I actually listened to it this morning, mate. And uh, we, I think we did a pretty good job. It made some sense? I think so. Nice. There's some good moments uh, to laugh in there, but there's also some cool stuff about extra income covered so much in that hour. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But we knew that we weren't going to have enough time for questions. Otherwise people would have been there for two hours. So, Surely people have better things to do than listen to us for two hours. Well, yeah, maybe. However, we've taken note of all of the questions that were asked last week. Um, and firstly, we were told not too many swear words before 7 p.m. So we'll both remember that before yeah. 7. That's probably better for me. Yeah, I'm not going to fucking do that. <laughs> <laughs> then put, put your hands up if you... Or can people have this like a wave function or something like that? I think so. Yeah, put your hands up a wave if you uh, attended the webinar last week. Just yeah. of interest. Good point. Right. Now, uh, people were questioning how I don't know who Margot Robbie is. Uh, uh, that was, uh, you know, we probably don't need to get into that. But so someone asked, um, how do I know how much to put aside in an emergency fund? And that's something that you often talk about, mate. So, mm. what is the. There's no correct answer for that, right? No. What's some no. guidance around that? Well, there's no real correct answer for any of the stuff that I wax on about, all that you wax on about, right? There's correct. like an, a, a thousand ways to slice this up. The way that I think about it is it's kind of in order, right? So the first thing you do is need to get $1,000 in the emergency fund, sell something, make sure you've got some cash to the side as a minimum if you're starting from absolute scratch because you're asking for trouble. Do that before paying down de any debt or anything like that. Then once you've paid down some debt, you've still got some spare um, cash. I would probably, usually we say three to six months of expenses. Now, if you're a young person without a lot of responsibilities, you know, you, you're probably at the lower end of that two to three months of expenses. If you've got 10 grand, you're probably in a decent place. If you're in a role where you're in a contract, I was talking to a couple where they both contract, they've got more set aside because there's more risk in their job. So they were like pretty much six months, absolutely. And then real estate agents, the ones where your income can fluctuate a bit more. Okay. I think that some people would say, right, three months uh, of expenses or even six months just feels too hard, right? And they would go, therefore, I'm not going to do it at all. That seems, you know, how do you even save that anymore? Wouldn't I be better to pay it off my loan? And so then people do the whole analysis by paralysis, just don't, you know, don't do anything, right? Mm. Or is it paralysis by analysis? Paralysis by analysis. <laughs> I deal with enough engineers to know it's paralysis okay. by analysis. Yeah. So, I, I, there's, if you've got a mortgage, the idea, in my opinion, is that money should still be effective. So using it as an offset, putting it in a revolving credit, assuming you know what to do with those kind of things. Some people just don't know how to deal with those facilities. But if you can save 7% without tax on your mortgage, then that's a really good place to keep your, your emergency fund. Um, if you're a younger person and you don't have a lot of responsibilities, 10 to 20 grand is probably mm. more than enough. But I am getting phone calls at the moment. We know unemployment's starting to move up a little bit i'm getting phone i've had three phone calls in the last week going um my job's up for um restructure is my income protection got um redundancy on it and wow. none of them have redundancy cover on them because they got scrapped with covid 
and they're pretty much a waste of money because most people get find another job as well. But you've got to have that emergency fund set aside, especially in the environment we're in at the moment. I think as well, having an emergency fund is a little bit about changing the person who you are. So basically, say you've never had an emergency fund. That's why I think you always talk about just try and sell some shit to have $1,000 sitting there. So then you can get rid of your old thinking of that's not possible for me. I've never been able to save $1,000. You've got to break your thermostat to start with. But then you get that money and you realize, okay, A, now that's possible. But then does that keep you on the journey? And you're trying to figure out how do you feel actually having some access to cash? Because society has basically taught us if you have an emergency, just fucking borrow. Mm -hmm. Just get afterpay. Just get a credit card. And most people's emergency fund is an access to credit. Mm. But eventually you want to outgrow that and you want to try and become somebody who doesn't rely on people preying on you to make money off of your misfortune. And you want to look at your cash as ammunition. You want to go, well, I've got the ammo. I can sort myself out here and you can dip into that. And don't you know, overcomplicate it by having the perfect amount. And someone's also asked, you know, should you have a a minor emergency fund and then a major emergency fund. It's overcooking it. You know, then you're instantly, you're making it too hard for yourself. Just get some cash aside so that you've got the peace of mind. Should something go wrong, you can clear it. I had the same thinking today. I've got an issue with a client and I'm like, fuck, I think we could be at fault here. We might have to put the hand in the pocket and make this right with a bit of cash. Now, the fact that we've got cash sitting there, I'm just like, okay, cool. If it is what it is, then we can do that. So it's no different, no matter sort of what stage you get to, your cash just becomes a tool, like we said in the webinar, and it's ammunition. So don't overthink the emergency fund piece, but it's who you become in the process of having an emergency fund. You gotta, you gotta wonder as well, how many people didn't have an emergency fund, got into credit card, after paid debt, and it became a cycle that was really hard to get out of because yeah. it's a big emergency. And not just set you back with that cost, but all the interest costs off the back of it. Yeah, it's someone messaged me today and they said, I get a preferential credit card rate because mm. I'm an ex bank. <laughs> I'm an ex bank employee. And they said, it makes it so much easier to, you know, pay it off because it's a lower rate. Oh, but it makes it so much harder to let go of that credit card. And I'm like, they got you right where they want you, don't they? I'm surprised you've got people that follow you like that. Like, surely they are sick of you. Like, if they're going to do that stuff, they're sick of you waxing on and they'll unfollow. Like, yeah. I'm surprised you've still got people like that around. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, uh, well, I saw this week, two and a half million Kiwis have got credit cards. Mm. But, yeah, I get it. You know, I, I honestly see both sides of it, but... Try and outgrow that. Set bigger goals. And just you know? remember, the banks aren't a freaking charity. Yeah. They are making, you know, you're, oh, I'm getting hot points, I'm getting air points. They're making bank on their credit card books. Mm. And, you know, the stats are that a lot of, you know, most people don't pay it off on time. Also with an emergency fund, maybe think about the biggest emergency that you've had, what it cost you, and could you actually pay for it in cash? Could you, could you pay for it three times? For me, I had to have my wisdom teeth taken out. I didn't have 4K, but I had a Q card. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not judging anyone out there. I'm saying I've done all this stupid yeah. shit. Uh, and so I can now, I get both sides to it. But now, you know, I have money stacked aside for emergencies and the feeling is just, it's very hard to articulate. 
Uh, but also someone's asked, where should you keep your emergency fund, cash fund, somewhere it's easily accessible, right? Don't worry. Uh, if you put in a freaking TD and you can't get access to it, you're screwed. Yeah. Like it, it's not about earning. If you can earn a bit of interest, then it's great. Shouldn't be in a shares account, shouldn't be in a kernel account, no sort of investment asset. It's just about making sure the money is available. Because it's not like you can have a family emergency and go, give me 32 days to break my term deposit before I can access the money. Yeah, nice. Yeah, think about the practicality of why you have an emergency fund. Not, you know, get cute later on, get cute with your other stuff, get the investments going and all that stuff. But with access to cash, you don't want to have to be trying to break a TD or ring someone and say, oh, can you get it out of Bitcoin? Will you put it under your bloody, you know, your name or whatever? Sound like a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in the webinar as well, we were talking about, you did an example of earning 80K for mm -hmm. 40 years and mm -hmm. what your KiwiSaver could look like under different funds. Mm -hmm. And instantly, you know, someone's like, LOL, you know, you'd be, damn, you'd have to be doing well to make 80K at 20. Yeah. And people, um, I just got distracted by someone's question, which I'll get to, but you you said, look, some, you've missed the point of this, that you didn't even increase the income over those 40 years. I just saw that, that question. I really <laughs> want to hear your answer. Um, yeah, and so, but what I'm going to say here is, like, when you see examples in webinars, just because you're not at that stage, so you're, you're not 20 earning 80K, you didn't when you were 20, because instantly people in the comments were like, oh, I know some of my mates make 80K, some of them make more. So you have to remember that just because that's how you see the world doesn't mean that that's how the world is and doesn't mean that it's not possible. However, yes, most people don't make 80K at 20, but you wanna try and, when your brain gives you like the, oh, well, this example doesn't matter anymore because no one makes 80K at 20, you want to recognize that and realize like, okay, actually, just how can it be possible? Help me get examples of how that can be possible. And that's why today on the story, there are now over 45, I think, examples from people saying how they make extra income. Because people often say, oh, it's good for you to say, and we spoke about this on the webinar, of different ways to, to increase your income. And people were like, oh, but I've got kids or whatever. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to ask all the followers out there to send in their examples so that when you tell me it's not possible, I can say, well, hey, okay, maybe it's not for you. Go and check these 100 examples, which is how many Instagram will let me save under the highlights. Yeah. But as part of these things, I guess my point is, Try and unlearn some of the things that you're holding onto that are actually helping you move yourself down the financial journey. And that example of the 80K income on average over 40 years, you've completely missed the point if you're talking about the person. It's about the principles behind it, which was you know, completely missed with that person, is KiwiSaver is going to be one of the biggest assets that, like if you're thinking about building wealth is about what's the smallest step that you can take as a building block and then take one step forward and one step forward. And for those that haven't made an active choice of KiwiSaver providers funds contribution levels, what an easy way to take a step forward and decide what level of risk you want to take, what provider aligns with your values. Like literally it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars difference by getting on with the show. I think we spoke about this a little bit on the webinar, but someone asked, you talk about removing owner occupied mortgage, but then using owner occupied home to leverage for it investment property so for each investment property you buy you need to repay the owner occupied loan not quite i mean i don't really understand oh, that what yeah well <laughs> they used a lot of acronyms in there but i think what we were talking about is once you build up enough equity in your owner occupied 
home, your home, mm. you may be able to use that equity to get uh, investment property. Mm. And we were talking about the tax efficiencies, although the tax rules have now changed, we have to see what happens post the election. Um, do National wind them back if they get in? If they get in, we shall see. Um, but people wanted all of the debt for their rental property or the debt that they had, whether that be under their owner-occupied home uh, or their rental property. They wanted the debt sitting under the investment property because that's tax deductible and your income, i.e. the rent coming in, minus the interest, the rates, the repairs, the travel, um, the home office, the accounting fees, the insurance equals your profit and you pay tax on your profit. So people would always try and structure their property deals so that the mo most possible debt that they had would be sitting under the investment property to ensure that it was what we call tax efficient and therefore tax deductible. Um, yeah, the, your, your own, the other kind of principle to that as well is if you've got an investment property or want to buy one, your own home, the mortgage has to go, right? You can't go into retirement carrying a mortgage on your own home. That has to disappear. The purpose of investment property isn't really about paying off the debt. It's about the capital appreciation over, over a long period of time. Someone's asked, was that not the reason for the 2007-2008 housing crisis? Uh, there's probably a number of reasons for that, but simply all we're talking about is what Kiwis have done for decades. Build up equity in a property, use leverage, i.e. the equity in that property, to get a second home because banks love to lend on that shit, so then naturally what you can lend against, you will go and do. So that is what human behaviour has happened because of the rules that the system or society or the banking system, whatever, who has set the rules, has allowed to happen. Do you so, think they mean housing crisis or DFC? What is the housing crisis in 08? What, the prices is going backwards, the GFC? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a crisis. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't because there, there was investors buying houses in New Zealand. It was because of what was happening in other parts of the world. Uh, someone's then asked, and this is very good, like leads off. Are we not going to talk about the, the political question? <laughs> we're going to lose it. I want to, let me ask it. Okay, so for those that don't know, um, myself and, uh, dare I say, my best mate, Mike, run a podcast called Checks and Balances, and we had Luke on the podcast where we did a predictions episode. It's great fun. We'll probably do you do one again where we review our old predictions and set new predictions. And, mate, you predict that Labour was going to re-win the election. Now, granted, not everybody had absolutely lost their shit in the Labour Party <laughs> where everybody was just jumping ship and it was all falling apart. Do you still do you still stand by that prediction? I know you couldn't have predicted all of the yeah. falling apart bit. But... Um, oh, look, it's definitely, I'm definitely not as confident now that Jacinda has, has abandoned the ship and it seems like the ship may slowly be sinking. Um, and obviously we're seeing some polls, but I wouldn't write Labour off yet. I think people are very self-interest, uh, act in self-interest, and if there are enough lollies left in the lolly jar around the election, we may see some things sprayed against the wall to encourage people to vote uh, red. I just, I just can't see well, it. You, you almost can't when you've got uh, Winston Peters now polling at 5.8% or something like that. My, my prediction should be uh, all, all the shame. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about national doing good. It's just about labor self-imploding i think and and the other bit is when we go through an economic tough time mm. usually, i mean that's how national got voted in, in 2008 right yeah. was off, off the back of that so look i love how you're not completely saying that you're going to be wrong but <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm not ruling them out 
yeah. but yeah, it'll be interesting. And they definitely, I think, national are a dollar forty-five favourites still. That might have even tightened up a little Mate, bit. The TAB odds you're keeping on track, <laughs> eh? Without, without Winnie, Winnie hitting five percent, is there an odds on that one? <laughs> Keep the change getting five percent. No, Winnie, Winnie. Oh, Winnie, yeah, I don't know. I'm not yeah, too sure. Good um, right, someone asked, would it be a good investment to borrow money against your house to put it towards starting a business? Well, who knows? Like, maybe that business is going to fail in six months. The answer would be, well, fucking, of course not. You know, this is where questions, you've got to be careful what you're asking and what you're hoping to get back as an answer. Uh, but what I can tell you in terms of technically, a uh, bank will let you borrow against your property to finance potentially a new business, but there are obviously limits, but you need equity in the property to be able to do that. Uh, I've seen in the past people selling rental properties and then using that as a bit of a uh, input into them buying a business that they may have some experience in. Um, but you know, buy beware. You at any time when you take on debt, you're taking a risk, and you're saying that you can use that money, whatever the cost to you is, to generate a bigger return. So you wouldn't just borrow against your property because you've built up equity to like buy a business or start a business for fucking shits and gigs you'd go, right, the cost of this money is, therefore I need to be able to generate a higher return from it. But yes, people do use equity in their property in different formats uh, to be able to access more credit for a current or a new business. Yeah, it's completely dependent on the business and the person. And um, Trust me, I mean, the entrepreneur life is definitely, you know, built up to be this very glamorous thing, but trust me, I'm sure you support it. Business ownership is a slog. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 6.48 and we're both sitting here on LinkedIn Live. You've got half your dinner finished over there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you're home to your, to your children after. And, you, you know, I don't think business is for everyone. And I, don't, like, I, don't I 100% fine. agree. I only, yeah. only realised that once being a business owner. I, I, you know, yeah, like I would, wait, there's many nights driving home going, I get it. I get it if some people don't want to do this. Yeah. Because a lot of the time it sucks. Yeah. And I think as well, like a lot of people just don't like risks. So then why would you go uh, and throw yourself yeah. in the fucking fire and be like, hey, see if you can make it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people like safety and security and stuff. And that's completely fine. You've got to know yourself, you know, uh, individually. And someone said it's 24 7, baby. Go hard or go home. 100%. <laughs> There's like a point of um, inflection, right? Where you have to push to, you don't want to be the person who's just grinding, working you know, 80 hours, so you don't have to work 40 hours, but there's a point that you have to push through to get to a certain level. Yeah. And then you don't, you know, there's still more challenges, but you don't look back. And it's just that push to, to mm. get going. And often people are getting close, but they lose focus and they focus on something else when they really should have just stayed the path and done maybe like another 12 months, but they saw a shiny object over there and thought, oh, I'll just get distracted by that. And then they lose a year and have to go back and go, Right, so yeah, it's it's very fascinating, but it's definitely not for everybody. But if it is, I like it'll change your life. It'll be the best thing you ever do. You'll love it. Uh, you'll learn so much. And so I think if we can flesh out the small percentage of people that want to be starting businesses, then that's great for the mm, economy yep. um, and, and great for the country. Right, for next week, when working out how much to save for retirement, how do we take inflation into account? That's a good question. Mm. Say I worked out I need $1 million today's value to continue my current lifestyle from age 65 to 90. I know $1 million in the bank today will not have the same value in 30, 40, 50 years' time. So what's the calculation to work the impact on inflation? Can you tell the KTC title uh, podcast, please understand inflation has really freaked me out? <laughs> Sorry. 
yeah, yeah, make, helping people who sleep at night. Yeah. So uh, it's a really good question because the other thing I see with these like um, finance bros being like just invest ten percent over this period of time, and then you'll have this amount of money. You don't actually get ten like this, the share market delivers a ten percent return, but you don't get ten percent right because you got to take off like one percent for fees. 3% for tax and then also 3% inflation. So the key with the game, the first bit is if you got money in the bank and it's not for a purpose short term, if you've got a mortgage, pay down your debt. Otherwise, you've got to get your money out of cash or you are going backwards and your money is getting eroded. So you've got to get your money to work. If you're already doing that and the question is how do um, I plan how much money I need, the way I do it with our financial plans is we assume instead of like a 6% return after tax, we assume a two or 3% return after tax because then that takes into account inflation. And that means that you don't have to go, oh, I've got a million dollars now, but this will be a, a million and 50 in 20 years time. You just apply a two, two or 3% return instead of a 6% return. So you do it on an annual basis for the return number. And it's the other thing, you know, making sure that you consistently put a percentage of your income aside because people, when they think like this, I think they forget that, yeah, but in the next 40 years, your income's probably going to move with inflation, hopefully. Well, you will if you're listening to Keep the Change because you realise how fucking important that is. Um, and then you're always putting it... Hey, it's 7 o'clock. It's not 7 o'clock yet. <laughs> the kids are still up. At about 3 o'clock. Um, you're putting a percentage of your income aside and you're not just putting... You're not putting, like, $50 aside a week for the next 40 years. You're mm. putting 3% of your increasing income, which should hopefully shield you from inflation as you go too, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. At the, the mentioning about the superannuation makes me think, I was talking to my sister in Brisbane the other night and I was talking to her about how there's lots of Kiwis who aren't prepared for retirement and aren't going to have enough. Now, remember in Australia, they've been compulsory contributing 9% and I think it's going to 12% in Australia. That's right. Do you think Kiwisaver contributions should be compulsory and do you think it should be a higher number? Oh, I mean, I do because I know that Kiwis aren't saving enough for their retirement. So I know who's going to pay the bill for that, the taxpayers and the people who are. And that's going to mean that we can't do things like build bridges and we're going to and fucking, damn it, there's another one, uh, in 2050 be like, oh, I can't believe we still don't have the second crossing across the Harbour Bridge. <laughs> and the people that are still around from 1970, if that's even possible, they're but going to be like... we've got a committee. We've got a committee. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to work on it. But, you know, they're going to be like, oh, we were talking about that in 1970. And, wow, look, it's 80 years on and still nothing's been done. Yeah, because we've got to continue to fund, you know, people retiring and wanting to retire at 65 and stuff like that. And I don't know what the right or wrong answers are, but I just think that if you're on your own financial journey, you should realise that the rules that society put in place suck shit and they're not actually going to protect you. And you, what are you going to do? Like, I saw something the other day and it was that, there's a rule that you get to retirement and you draw down 4% of your fund every mm. year or maybe six if you want to be rebellious. Well, the average KiwiSaver fund in New Zealand is $30,000. Mm. 4% of that's $1,200. Yep. Well, add that on top of your pension, whoop your shit. You yep. know, like, what, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, like, I see a comment in here going, no, people should be able to make their own choices. And in, in an ideal world, I agree with that. Same. My problem is, as a financial advisor for more than 10 years, most people get to about 50 and they're like, oh shit, I need to start planning for my future. I'm not a child anymore. Mm. I've lived my best life and now and 15 years, you have to sacrifice so much more to get to the same outcome, especially if you want to retire earlier. But if you get, if there is a compulsory contribution level much earlier at a higher percentage and it's almost like tax, right? You just don't think about it. 
think, and, and there's not going to be New Zealand superannuation, another controversial opinion. There won't be New Zealand superannuation in the future because there's not going to be enough young people to prop up the oldies because we've got an aging population. No government wants to tackle it, understandably, because it's not going to be popular. And then overnight, just like happened in Italy um, a few years ago, like the superannuation gets cut in half. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Just yeah. thought it would be a bit controversial. Yeah, I like it, man. People like talking about that stuff as well. But the main thing is if you've got a real strong opinion on it, I think you should also have a strong opinion on how you're going to fund your own retirement. So if you're really passionate about it and you think, no, they shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be compulsory, well, then what are you doing? You know, what, do you, what can you teach people to show them that you, you don't need to rely on compulsoriness, if that's a word, uh, because you, <laughs> you've, you've got the thing that's going to work, right? So I think people lose themselves in arguments rather than being like, yeah, what am I actually doing about this? Yeah. Um, someone's asked this is a random question. How do you fund your car purchases? Cash question mark. Now, how do you fund the scooter? <laughs> the scooter was paid for in cash, uh, <laughs> but it's a business expense, right? So things are a little bit different for me, but when you have a business, often people will use debt to buy a vehicle because you can get a rate which you think that in your business you're going to keep the money back into your business and you're going to invest it into your next staff member, maybe into advertising. So you're going to generate a higher return from that money than the cost to borrow that money from a car dealer. So most people in business finance their vehicles uh, from what I see. But again, this is where you have to have strong financial education to understand that. Sometimes I have clients who have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting there and I'm like, why are you financing a vehicle? You don't need to pay the interest costs, just use some of the cash that you've got sitting there, you've paid the tax on it. Um, but yeah, I think, again, same thing, I was thinking about this today actually, there's probably a lot of people in New Zealand who have a bigger car loan than what they do access to cash if they needed it. Yeah, I was talking to somebody who runs one of the largest car dealerships in the country, and he was saying that 95% of cars that are purchased are done on finance. Really? Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's not surprising, I guess. No. But yeah, again, it's just another, like, it's another form of credit that the powers that be have been like, oh, I know how we can make some money. Yeah, the problem with all this stuff, though, is there's no, like, black and white, right or wrong. No. If you've got because, I mean, if you don't finance it, but you get it through your mortgage because you're not debt-free, that's not necessarily a bad thing, which I know sounds crazy. When it's a bad thing is if you're not going to pay off your mortgage in enough time and then have enough money to invest to achieve your goals, right? Whatever they might be, which are different for everybody. But if you can borrow some money for a car, it gives you some joy, and then you can still do all the other things that you want to do, then it's completely fine. But if you're going... Bob down the road, road has a sweet G-Wagon, I want a G-Wagon, then that's not like financial literacy or good financial decision-making. Mm. Yeah, I guess the, the real problem comes when you start buying vehicles you can't really afford or you're buying, you're using your future earnings to pay back a vehicle that's going to depreciate, it's going to incur repair costs, it's going to blow up at some stage, all of that shit, it's going to require maintenance and stuff. Mm. Uh, someone has said, buy your vehicle and lease it to your business for a profit, rinse and repeat. The only problem here is that there's expense to one being the business that is paying for the lease and there's profit to the person who is leasing the income. So that's uh, leasing the vehicle and the profit is in the form of income. So you're going to have, to have tax to pay on the income that you've created by leasing that vehicle. So you might just be moving the debt years of where the income uh, and expenses sit. 
this was a goodie mate and it is basically if you have a mortgage on your house that you live in and you want to do the whole investing thing is it worth putting money into an investing portfolio or just getting rid of the mortgage get rid of the mortgage so the only asset that makes sense uh when you have a mortgage is investment property the reason for that is in new zealand because of the way we're set up you can get money borrow money and it can be um tax deductible but to buy in shares, but it's just way more complicated and not really have a banking system to set up in New Zealand. Uh, you have, if you invest into shares while you have a mortgage, say your mortgage rate's 7% and you're getting 10% return on shares, you might be like, oh sweet, I'm making 3% more. You take off 1% for fees, you're at nine. You take off 3% for tax, you're at six. You take off 3% for inflation, you're at 3%. 3% for shares, net real return, taking into account inflation. 7% on your mortgage. If you pay that off, there's no tax, there's no fees, there's no inflation. Nice. I like the example you used in the first webinar where you showed basically trying to speed up the repayment of your loan. You can mm. go onto a mortgage calculator and you can play with it and see what that looks like. That should get anyone with the mortgage excited. That yeah. should be the encouragement to go and find that extra income to clear it so you can and, save years of your life. And it doesn't have to be huge amounts, right? Like we do, we do examples where it's like, oh, an extra $100 a week on a $600,000 mortgage if the repayments are $2,000 a, a fortnight, you pay off the mortgage 10 years earlier or something like that. And then with that 10 years, you can put it into managed funds and have like 600 grand more in retirement. Um, and people go, I don't have an extra $100 a week spare. And it's kind of, kind of like, okay, well, what do you have spare at the moment? The smallest step forward can make a difference. Or when you get a pay rise, instead of getting a pay rise or a promotion and just spending the money, work out where the money is going to go before that first paycheck comes in. I promise you people get used to lifestyle group real quick and mm. they, can, they everyone can do with a pay rise. Nobody can do with a pay cut, regardless of how many pay rises they've had in the past. Yeah. Um, this is a really cool comment that someone left and they basically said, if your outgoings exceed your income, then your upkeep becomes your downfall. <laughs> it's just so sustainable. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you're spending more than you're making, fuck you, you're just putting yourself in trouble. Yeah. And society allows that now. Here you go, here's a credit card. You know, yeah. you're using leverage, you're le leveraging your income potential. Mm. Uh, here's buy now, pay later. You can't afford this now, but you could pay for it. Um, right now with credit and you can pay it off leveraging your future incomes. Well, what happens if you lose your job? You know, what happens if you have an emergency? What happens if you max those things out? We've bashed that shit to death. But a very good test is, do you have anything left at the end of your pay, you know, week cycle? And if you don't, and you haven't been investing anything into the jars that you talk about, then you've got to give yourself a bit of reality check of, okay, how long are you going to let that carry on for? And don't invest what's left over pay invest first at the start of the pay and go, right, this is my goal. This is how much money I need for the goal. Reverse engineer and go, this is how much I need to save each fortnight. And that's what goes out first. If you do the structure where whatever's left over is what I save, you're not going anywhere. And there was that stat a couple of weeks ago um, in the US, those that own over 250K, 30% of them live paycheck to paycheck, which is just crazy. Wow. And if you go to me, how could somebody earns 250K live paycheck to paycheck? If you can't manage $50,000 a year, which is all where all those people started, if you don't create good money habits early, it'll go with you regardless of your income. Someone's just said, far out, both of your offices look super similar. We'll just um, blow your mind here. <laughs> hey, mate, how, how are we going, team? <laughs> that hell of a setup you guys got here. I know, look, we've got the, got the sign over here as well. Yeah, bloody hell. Um, 
Okay, do you think too many people get hung up on Brightline tests? If the deal makes sense, we'd rather pay tax and make something to do other deals and it's ultimately a cost of business thoughts. Yeah, I rate that. Like, so many people put so much time into fucking avoiding tax and we're like, why don't you spend as much time into generating more income or like making sure this deal is going to generate a profit? And we've had clients that have had to pay Brightline tax and Brightline tax, basically, they're buying a property uh, and then they're selling it for a profit. Rules say, well, if you do that, then you need to pay tax. Um, if it's not a new build and some different carve outs, so go and get some advice if that's your thing. But basically, we're like, hey, you've got to pay tax on that profit. And uh, for, you know, uh, it's kind of like I talk to business owners sometimes, and like, my accountant's only got my salary at 180k, even though there's more profits in the business. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like are we reinvesting it doing something? Or like, you're gonna have to pay tax eventually. Yeah. Um, and it's a sign of success. Paying more tax means you're doing something. Mm. until you get to the super rich and then pay nothing, right? Well, <laughs> leverage off of your assets by debt and spend the debt. But, you know, even the poor are doing that. They are leveraging off their income and borrowing credit and they're getting access to more finance. And so you're not paying tax on that. You so know, the poor and billionaires, they're just the same? Well, you know. Um, someone said, the more tax you pay, the more money you're earning. It's that simple. Yeah, that, that is good. The downside is that people pay a lot of tax and they start to go, fuck, is this actually worth it? But that's a story for another day. One of the exercises we spoke about in the pod, and I'll do a money mail about this soon, is now we're in a higher interest rate environment. All of us, if we've got savings, can get a drip of money coming back from interest. So we pay the tax on the interest, we have the net amount, and I set people a target in the webinar. I said, try and understand passive income by getting a drip of money from a term deposit to cover one of your expenses per month. And it might be your gym membership, it could be your gas bill, it could just be your Spotify expense, like one thing. If you can get the concept of, wow, I saved all of that money, I now get interest, I pay the tax on it, and then the net amount covers this expense. Now you're understanding passive income differently and you're looking at it and going, right, like I'm not paying that expense anymore, the bank do. And that's everyone's favorite saying about the reason to buy a property is, why would you pay someone else's mortgage? Well, I've invested money and I get a return back and it helps subsidize my rent, you know? So I'm like, well, I don't actually really pay all of my rent because ASB do and this investment company do and Heartland Bank do through these dividends and stuff. You know, sure, I pay some of it, but it's subsidized by my return. So it gets you thinking about things differently. Right, right. someone said, um, Luke, oh, I think we talked about this on, on the pod, on the webinar, sorry. Luke and James, how often do you see people that are tripped up in their journey to financial freedom because of shame? Not just justification, but pure shame. Yeah, I do see it. I, lots of people, I mean, everybody's made mistakes in the past. Um, the ones that really get burnt by doing something, you know, whatever it might be, and can kind of draw a line in the sand and go, I can't control hindsight. I'm only going to focus on what I can control going forward. It, it definitely, it takes a lot of like mental strength to be able to do that instead of, you know, would have, should have, could have, I've let somebody down, all of those different bits and pieces. I've definitely run into quite a few people where I've spoken to them once. I'm like, you guys need to change some stuff and they won't come back because they just want to keep their head in the sand and not deal with it. But if you can draw the line in the sand, focus on not what could have been, but what you can build going forward, you know, it'll change your life. Yeah, I think something I see often on the business side, 
people will be might be a bit embarrassed about the tax debt that they've got themselves in or the debt that they've got in their business. Sometimes they don't even really understand it. But I think like shame, um, you're, it's probably like a strong word, but I think for a lot of people, they don't have the education. And so then, you know, you might think you're doing things really well. And then all of a sudden you hear about your mates and it's like, they've got two rental properties and they learned about leverage and they knew about Bitcoin and they bought this and they even paid the tax on it. And now they've been able to pay for this trip. And you're like, holy fuck, like, how did I not, you know, know about any of that? Like, I'm so far behind. Mm. Who cares? Like, you're on your own individual journey with your own individual goals, your own individual risk appetite, and you want to make sure that you take actions to get yourself closer to that. And I think shame comes from comparing yourself to what you should have known. Um, and sometimes, like, we should have known better, right? You know, it's embarrassing for Luke to accept that you got to 13K out of 15K in credit card debt. Should have known better. Of course, that's shameful and embarrassing, but the outcome is still the same. Fuck, mate, you got to pay it back, and you're just going to have to suck up the next quite a lot of pay runs to pay that bastard back. But what can I do to do it faster? Okay, well, balance credit card transfer it so I'm not incurring any interest. I'll basically cut up that card, so now I'm treating it as a term loan. I can't use that card. I'm no longer using credit, and I'll slowly pay it back. So shame, I think, is something for each of us individually to try and own and just accept I didn't have the right information at that time, uh, or even if I did, I didn't do what I potentially should have been doing, but my future's still bright. I can tidy that stuff up. Surely bankruptcy would be faster than paying back the debt. <laughs> <laughs> Not at 13K, mate. I think I can see a way out. Um, someone said, thanks, guys. Great training. At the end of the day, it's discipline. We must train ourselves to stick to our goals, and that is so true. Someone messaged me today, and they said, I'm doing so well. I'm paying down so much debt. However, I can't help myself but splurge out every now and then. Mm. I just fall back into old habits. I just feel like I deserve to reward myself or like I just, I, I deserve it or something. Yeah. I said, maybe, just maybe your goal is too focused on paying down the debt and then you're just defaulting to old habits. Maybe the goal should be you no longer have debt and you are someone who has 10 grand in investments. And when you get to that, you can splurge or you can reward yourself. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but the thing about like budgeting and paying down debt and all that kind of stuff is it needs to be sustainable. Mm. That comment, either it's the wrong mindset or they're going too hard. And it's like, the, I'm going to work out twice a day and just eat chicken, broccoli and rice. At some point, you're going to be like, I deserve to treat myself with a sales pizza and you know a box of magnums. Um, that's not... That's not... Um, Nutritional advice. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> that's not like... The way to a budget is about going what's sustainable how much money do i actually want to put aside for dinners and coffees and holidays and all that kind of stuff to kind of go towards the go towards the, the bigger goal yeah nice one um someone's asked you said earlier it was better to save a percentage rather than trying to save to get to a certain amount say 50 dollars a week saving to a 10k goal why would it be better to save five percentage i just want to clarify before we talk about that I think you've misinterpreted what we're talking about. We weren't saying about targeting a figure. We we're talking about saving for retirement to try and um, lessen the impact of inflation, continuing to save a percentage of your income over time because your income would naturally be increasing with inflation. But if you were to solely only save $50 every week for the rest of your life, well, $50 today is not going to be $50 in 30 years' time. $50 in 30 years' time is going to buy you a shitload less than what it does today because of the 
uh, compound effect of inflation. Yeah, and it comes back to the whole kind of like income should I save? And it's like, well, if you're a single mum with two kids for somebody who lives at home with not a lot of expenses, the percentages are going to be completely different. So that's why you just focus on running your own race, focusing on leveling up. What's the smallest step I can take forward to slowly build? I just want to read you something because I saw this yesterday uh, from James Kemp and he's very good at marketing, but uh, he's just started posting content again. And this is something I learned some time ago and it's really, really powerful. And it says, you won't reach your goals, you'll reach your standards. Most people don't get taught this. So goals are great and they're very common, but goals aren't enough. Goals describe a future state, a set of criteria that you have defined as desirable and successful. They are usually tangible, income, body weight, a house and a car. And defining a vision is deeply important as it keeps you going through those low moments. The paradox is the person you will be when you reach your goal will be different. That's why we talk about trying to do these things to see who you become through the process. They need to be different, otherwise you would already have what you desire. So what that means is that if you're 20K in debt, but you wanna have 20K in investments, well, you can't now because you're not the person doing the things you need to do to have 20K investments. So the goal is great, but you have to change who you are. So you need to be different, otherwise um, you would have already you would already have it. So the future you will have to be more focused, disciplined, decisive, knowledgeable, and be wise. The absolute best news is that you have all those things in you right now. They aren't missing. You just have to make them your standard. But for a lot of us, they're not our standards. Standards are what make goals inevitable. If your goal is to lose 10 kilos, set your standards as someone who is 10 kilos lighter. Eat like them, dress like them, exercise like them, think like them, become the future you who is 10 kilos lighter. It will happen. If your goal is to have $1 million business, set your standards there, invest like a million dollar business, sell like a million dollar business, hire like a million dollar business. So hopefully that illustrates how goals are important, but also that's why sometimes you can kind of feel like, fuck, this is kind of boring, or I'm not getting there fast enough. And it often comes back to standards as well. That's why get-rich-quick schemes are so popular, right? Everybody wants the end result. Nobody wants it on the journey. Yeah, nice, mate. Rightio, that has been uh, 40 minutes there. And should you run a side hustle as a sole trader or as a limited company if your income tax rate is higher than the company rate? I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have to pay the tax on it. Don't get cute. Like, get the right structure. Maybe it just needs to be a sole trader. You're probably going to spend more money having a company, getting an accountant to do the sets of accounts and stuff You, you know, than, than what you would save on the tax anyway. Go to something like henry.co.nz, ask for their advice about could you just be doing it as a sole trader. Uh, we'll wrap this up, mate, because I know that you've got to get out of here. Hey, and we've I've been going half for... my dinner here. I'm going to go. <laughs> That'd be cold. Oh, doesn't matter. I'm hungry. Good man. All right. Well, thanks again for your time uh, last week, mate. And then again, obviously, this week. No worries. Some cool questions coming in. It's obviously money month, which is cool to see so many people learning about money. If you haven't checked out the webinar, you can watch that on YouTube. Highly suggest you watch it because Ravi and James spent hours putting together slides that you can follow along in that. And then also the audio version sits on Spotify as a podcast, um, but you don't necessarily want to just rely on that because you want to check out what uh, the slides have in them as well because there's some really cool stuff, especially towards the end. And let us know what you want us to do the next webinar on. Uh, maybe put a poll out or something like that and see what's yeah. got the most interest. Yeah. All right, team, enjoy the rest of your evening and we'll see you 
on the next webinar. Uh, keep up the good work and keep your money on your mind and get shit done.